Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. As I mentioned over the past month or so, this week's episode will be a Hellier recap. If you haven't seen the show Hellier, first of all, you definitely should watch it. And second of all, this particular episode probably won't make any sense if you haven't seen it. If you don't know, Hellier is a documentary series that aims to explore a string of paranormal and supernatural synchronicities that take place in and around Hellier, Kentucky. The first season, which consisted of five episodes, was released for free in January of 2019 on YouTube. The second season, which consisted of 10 episodes, was released later in 2019 on both Amazon Prime and YouTube. That being said, as far as recaps go, I'm pretty late to the party. But the unusual phenomena of Hellier doesn't really seem to give a shit about when you tune in, just that you do, in fact, tune in. So, here we are. The first season of Hellier began when a team of paranormal investigators received a report on hobgoblins in Hellier, Kentucky. After a series of emails with an alleged doctor by the name of David, the team traveled to Hellier to investigate the doctor's claims. After thorough investigation, they found that no one in the town had ever heard of the doctor and that records of him did not exist. They also began receiving messages from a mysterious Terry Wrist who goads them to investigate further. The second season focuses its investigation on the identity of Terry Wrist and other paranormal events that took place in Kentucky. They meet a woman who claims to have contact with Indrid Cold, an alien who allegedly visited Earth and has connection to the Mothman. I just pulled most of that from the interwebs to give you an overview, but it gets so weird and zigzaggy and mind-bending that it's, I, I can't even tell you. You just have to watch it just to see where all the different offshoots go from that original report on Hobgoblins to the very end of season two. They go on a serious ride. Bizarre synchronicities abound. You're in for a ride if you haven't seen it. I imagine that a lot of my listeners have already seen it, so then you can just sit back and listen to us chit-chat about our thoughts on the show. Historian, psychic, and paranormal investigator Stephanie Bingham and our friend Brian join me in this recap. Y'all know Stephanie. She's been on the show two times before, in episode 22, When the Woo Follows You, and in episode 32, I've Got the Magic in Me. So we've been in the thick of the woo together to some extent for a while now, and we both went pretty much insane when we watched Hellier. Stephanie's got a unique perspective in that she deals with inhuman entities and ghosts all the time, and has since she was a baby. Brian is a friend of ours who also lost his mind going down the rabbit hole of Hellier. So we thought, why not nerd out about it together? 
Warning, there are spoilers in this recap, although I don't know that it matters too much because there's just so much content that they cover in the show, you'll probably forget anyway. (laughs) But this is part one of two. I think we get to about episode five of season two in this part. And part two will cover the last five episodes of season two. So if you feel like going further down this rabbit hole with Brian, Stephanie, and I, part two will be available to my patrons only sometime around the end of November, early December. Anyway, if you're ready for some weird and some woo, here we go. Do either one of you want to do your, if you were to explain it to somebody who is like, what the fuck is hell here? What would you say? Or I don't know, your elevator pitch. It's it's how all paranormal phenomena interact with each other in weird ways that you don't expect that affect your life and are part of an initiatory experience. Oh, that was so concise. <laughs> Good job. That Buddhist meditation is really paying off. <laughs> And what would you say, Stephanie? Or are you just like, I concur? It's what it feels like to be inside a paranormal flat. They are literally following what it feels like to be inside one of them. Can you explain to the listeners what a flap is just real quick? A flap is a time when there is a giant bubble of basically energy and everything weird that can possibly happen does. So it's not just ghosts. It's not just in humans. It is everything that you could possibly think of all happening at once at the worst time possible and you feel crazy yeah that sounds about right <laughs> key, key at the worst time possible because it's always, always at the finals worst. great time great yeah. time for flaps let's make a game plan here okay all right because this can get really weird really quick so we need some structure hellier does not like structure it, it does really not doesn't. and it's been all over everything oh really okay yeah, yeah. It's kind of exploded since we've made this meeting really Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How weird my news is that? feed, all kinds of stuff. It's now in Lizzie Borden. I've got a problem. Let's just start with you just said Hellier exploded again since we booked this call. What happened? I missed it. I'm not plugged in. So to get ready for this, I started watching some episodes. And as I'm watching some episodes, it's one of those things where personal synchronicities become Hellier synchronicities because things start tying together. And then things are showing up on timelines and in places where you'd never expect it that are just crossing personal synchronicities and stuff Stephanie and I have been talking about with totally separate hellier stuff. There's like a weird synchronicity for me with Michigan. Everything's been pointing to Michigan. And then today I'm like, oh, I'll just turn on a random hellier episode. And in the middle of this hellier episode in season one, it's Carl talking about how he talked to John Tenney and John Tenney talked about meeting a goblin type creature in Michigan, like out of nowhere. And I'm like, I totally have blanked that this was ever a thing. So then I messaged Tenney today on Twitter asking him if that was written down anywhere. And he immediately goes, well, it was, it was a, it was a goblin, but it was actually more of a face slash elemental and to talk about it tends to conjure it. And all that stuff is stuff that that's straight up things that have been going on around here, especially Faye. Like the mm-hmm. Faye have been out of control and references to the Faye and, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah. And then Stephanie just found, got her second birthday balloon. A few it did get a blue birthday balloon. Two blue stars. 
So, Wait, okay, I'm so bad. I know that you recently had you you recently found one in your parents' lawn, correct? That's the one. That's the okay. most recent one, but that's my second. And the other one I found coming back from Somerset, Kentucky. Interesting. And I Somerset am. is exploding and like it is. Like it the, is. That is now in the Lizzie Borden case. Yeah. That of course makes total sense. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that. What's going on with the Lizzie Borden it's, thing? So I'm putting together a presentation that I'm doing this weekend on Lizzie Borden, going through getting birthdays, death days, things like that for family members. And Lizzie's biological mother, who was dead before the murders took place, was born in Somerset, Massachusetts. So Mm. just out of nowhere, that pops up. And then the same day that I realized that one of my friends at work came up to me and just sort of out of the blue said, what is pan? To which I was just like, I, (laughs) we don't have enough time. There's, there's literally not enough time for this conversation. It's everything that could point to Hellier is just being like, Hey, 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 do I have your attention yet? Well, you could argue the central question of Hellier in season two is what is Pan? Mm, Like, really it's Pan is not just a God. There's kind of an, there's a whole energy, a whole ideology behind it that, Mm -hmm. Is kind of what the whole second season's about, especially if you get into the Crowley stuff. I feel like I already know the answer to this question, but do you feel like when you start to investigate Hellier specifically and all the different side streams that it inspires you to investigate further, that synchronicities start happening to you and that you start to feel like you're a part in some way of the overall initiation? Yeah, the thing I've I've kind of I guess learned there are certain times when I can't interact with it, and you there is some ability to almost ignore things and it'll go away a little bit. But then the second a little bit, it'll it's it becomes okay, maybe not. <laughs> Stephanie's shaking her head. <laughs> Stephanie's shaking her head. This is wishful thinking on my part. It um, is because when you ignore it, it gets worse. And that is what I find is every time I start ignoring it, it all pops up and it gets louder and louder until I just stop ignoring it. Well, maybe, maybe I'll say it a different way. I know for a fact, if I sit down and decide to interact with it, like something's going to happen every single time. If I sit down and Google search Somerset, something's going to come up that's going to lead me down another rabbit hole. And then the next three days are just going to be things that reference back to that is what it feels like. I find that when this phenomena wants attention, it's going to get the attention, whether or not you're paying attention to it at the time. I think it just wants attention. And when it wants the attention, it's going to get it, at least in my case. So that is so weird that you just said that because I just remembered just now that I had a dream about you last night. Don't usually have dreams about you people. You, all I remember is you FaceTime me and you were like, is it doing it for attention? That's all I remember from the dream. That's weird. The answer is yes. That's so <laughs> weird. So here we're having a meta conversation, right? Because like this, I, I'll say for myself that synchronicities have increased since I've watched Tellier. And then right, like what you said, Brian, every time I plug into it actively, they just sort of like shoot through the roof. <laughs> but I haven't gotten a freaking blue star balloon yet. So I'm sad. I guess Two I'll get that. Them. I yeah. got, I, you got a balloon though, right? I did get one. Yes. Okay. I, yeah. I got a balloon too. It was, mine was super low key. Like I didn't even think about it until later. Yeah, same. In the middle of her yard, a blue star. And then the other one was on a highway, like 
yours being in your parents' yard, or I feel like because, and I don't know if this is true because I, Brian, I don't know how much you've investigated like boots on the ground, but Stephanie, I know you told me that you've been to almost every single site that's referenced in that they go to in Hellier, which means maybe the phenomena is is more like it knows your your wanting to interact with it more than us perhaps i've been to pretty much all of them except for hellier and i was at most of them before hellier came out i mean i've been looking at the things in the caves the inhuman things the things that are in the bellwitch cave in mammoth cave and all of that for years and i grew up 25 minutes from kelly kentucky where the goblin attack actually happened i mean i i feel like i've been interacting with that sort of energy my entire life really so it doesn't surprise me that i got the balloons but it is a little heavy-handed i have a theory on that i Mm. think you're so used to things happening that in order to get your attention it has to go way above and beyond what it might have to do for me or for fen because it's like I mean, you're not wrong, For me, but it still I, I, seems heavy-handed. Yeah, I'm satisfied with like a tweet from Tenny, whereas you're like, no, you got to land a friggin' balloon in my yard. Or <laughs> in else my I'm yard. With the goblin attached. I've got stuff to do, so. Wait, with a goblin attached? Are we yes, joking? that's when I, yes, we are joking. Like okay, that is, <laughs> that's the sign from Hellier that I want is the blue balloon in my yard with yeah. the goblin holding it. She'll never That's be satisfied until there's a goblin involved. Like, I want I a keep, goblin. I keep going down I want these a goblin. If I tell her about it, the response is always, but are there goblins? Yes, where are the goblins? I want a goblin. So. I think I also want one. I question. <laughs> exactly. Everybody wants a goblin. I mean, that's why you started watching Hellier. We were promised in the first season, goblins. So it is one star, no goblins. I mean, come on. (laughs) And he says his goblin is more of a fae slash elemental creature. So. (laughs) Okay. All right. We got to slow this train down. All right. So let me just start with, I have this list of questions that I started generating while watching the show that's separate from the ginormous notebook that I filled. Some of them are just really simple. Some of them are more in-depth. So who do you think David Christie is? I don't think David Christie exists. I think Terry Wrist is David Christie. It's the same guy kind of weaving a, a narrative. Do you think Terry Wrist is Alan Greenfield? 100% I think that's true. I don't anymore. I do. First time I watched it all the way through, I was like, 100% Alan Greenfield is Terry Wrist or Reist, whatever. And then second time I watched it through, I was like, it's not him. I just don't think it's him. I, I, there's something about the way I, I kept like like rewinding that interview where they're in that hotel room and talking about all kinds of shit. And he's saying the hypnosis was unethical and all that. And I just kept thinking, like, he doesn't look like he he did it. But you what think better so? way to hide. What about you, Brian? Are you what do you think? I, I think he probably is, but okay, so so it's funny because I just rewatched a part of season one today, and it's the one where they track the email, like they track the IP address, mm-hmm. and they find out that it's in Ajax, Canada, which that's a whole other thing that like 
completely missed. I missed on the first time through. And then they're like, oh, it might be, it might be a virtual IP address. It, you know, it might be all this other stuff. And I'm like, or it might just be someone in Ajax, which is two hours from where Greg and Dana live. You know, like, isn't that the simplest answer to who that first email came from is someone in Ajax, Canada, in which case it would be just one of Greg's friends that got the ball rolling on something or was in connection with someone else to play a joke on his friend. And then when it went out of control, he was just like, yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know that it really matters where the first email came from, because they obviously stumbled into something very, very real in this. Yeah. Alan Greenfield, if you read his tweets, he kind of talks in that same code-like language. He makes purposeful mistakes of where he breaks words up, like use the numbers with Mm -hmm. the S separate from number. I keep looking for kind of a more interesting answer to who Terry Rist is, but Alan Greenfield's the most obvious, because who else is going to reference Secret Cipher the Euphonauts so directly? True. Going to throw in nines and threes. It's definitely a thelemite. Mm-hmm. Whoever did it is a thelemite. Yeah, so. but that I mean that is one thing. Like you said, that he uses those codes. Alan does, but lots of thelemites use those codes and and probably talking codes. I'm I'm sure. And also, it doesn't explain Amy. Where did she come from? You don't think? I think Amy's more of a result of what they were doing like she's a manifestation of this thing coming back and creating this next level synchronicity storm so i think whoever whoever sent the first emails whether it was alan greenfield or someone else was purposely poking to get an initiation ritual started and then when they took it and ran with it all the other phenomena that have come from that were basically magical manifestation. They're doing magic the entire show. The Mm -hmm. entire audience watching it is doing magic. And they're also calling in, you know, intelligent energies from all these other places. So I think that's where Amy came from. I don't think, I don't think that Terry contacted Amy and got her to tell a story or anything like that. I think it was just, you get the ball rolling and it explodes in different ways that you don't expect. I think she had actual encounters, actual experiences. I don't think any of the others did. And I don't think anybody has any motivation to weave Alan Greenfield so deeply into the original story other than Alan Greenfield. Nobody else really has that motivation to do that. Okay. I have thought about this from that angle. So the question is, if Alan Greenfield did send the original emails, because I agree, David Christie and Terry Riss, they're all the same, then what was his original motivation? I mean, yes, the phenomena is going and doing its own thing and it's manifesting and unfolding in different ways. But like, what do you think his original goal was? Look at where he sent the email. He sent the email to a defunct email address attached to a ghost hunting group that liked to take machetes and other random things to, you know, take pictures with in graveyards. He sent it to people who were a little bit over the top, a little bit different people who that were now associated with magical workers in Dana at the time, people who he knew would have energy access that would have that personality to draw things in that would be enough to 
whip something up if the cards were right. All the players are there to create energy, to put something towards something. So yeah, if he what? had a, a working that he wants to do, I think that what is working towards is something that he is trying to accomplish. I think he has got some larger working in mind. Really? So you think... I do. You think he had some larger working in mind, and then do you think he expected it to turn into this? No, I don't. <laughs> I think it got out of control. I don't think it's directed by him anymore at all. No, no it's like, not. Yeah. No. So, who do you think it's directed by now? Pan? The goblins. <laughs> Two very different answers. <laughs> Are they? Though? Are they? <laughs> Actually, that's a really good point. Yeah. We yeah, had this discussion then. the other day. It start. It started with the idea of walls and bridges, but has kind of transitioned into the idea of crossroads and the idea of trickster energy, crossroads, the gatekeeper to uh, some other realm or some other energy. So I'm wondering if all of these things are pointing, you know, all these little synchronicities and all these things that they're going through are really pointing to the same type of energy. Stephanie and I were talking about there was some stuff that came up with uh, Papa Legba, which mm. is, you know, the Guardian of the Crossroads that feels very connected to all this stuff, you know, that's just been popping up in, in our lives, I think, <laughs> recently. And then I was, it's weird. Today, I was watching a documentary that pointed out that the Crossroads is not just a place of meeting the crossroads is also an intersection of contradictions. Like it's where two ideas that contradict each other meet and are, and, and meet opposition to each other in order to move reality in a certain direction. Like that, that's what trickster energy really is. I like that idea. And that feels very hellier to me, you know, these con yeah. contradictions coming into each other and moving reality in a direction that's, put forward by i don't know if it's a person or a will or an entity i really wonder if all this hellier stuff and energy is just waiting for someone to step in with will and just direct it somewhere because it's not really directed at this point it's kind of approached as more of a, a mystery figure out what it is but what it is might depend on what you what direction you push it to be i don't know if that made any sense at all but yeah i i get what you're saying it's sort of like a conglomeration of energy. It's not necessarily that Pan and the goblins are two distinct separate I, things. I think it's different names for the same intelligent energy. Got it. Different sense? manifestations of yeah. the same intelligent energy. I think you could see okay. both at the same time. Yeah. But I do think that they are intrinsically bound to one another. Interesting. Aren't we all different manifestations of the same energy? It's kind of a broad stroke there. But not when you get down to the type of energy that it is. It is a very distinct energy that has a very tangible feel to it. And you have these ideas of crossroad guardians and of liminal spaces and of these little creatures going back hundreds and thousands of years all around the world. It is a cross-cultural truth at this point that this energy and this thing manifests in different places at different times. Right. But because you see Papa Legba in one place and you see a goblin in another does not mean that those two things are not siblings, if not the same energy entirely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. 
Back to Stephanie, you said you went to all these locations, pretty much all of them. Did you go to Brown Mountain in North Carolina? That is one of the ones I haven't been to. Curious. How about you, Brian? I've not been to Brown Mountain, but Brown Mountain is very important to this whole case. Yes. (laughs) Shall shall we go? Something I found that's interesting. I'm doing (laughs) random research on our friend who may or may not be Terry Rist in Allen Greenfield. And I come across a podcast he's in that has, let me see if I can find it. I have all my stuff up. So here's what it said under his biography. He has personally conducted on-site UFO abduction investigation in Brooksville, Florida, Pascagoula, Mississippi, and Brown Mountain, North Carolina. Mm. So I don't know if it's before or after Hellier, but at some point, uh, Terry Greenfield, (laughs) Alan Greenfield (laughs) was at Brown Mountain in a similar place to where the coordinates led them doing research on abductions and UFOs. Hmm. So anyway, that's an interesting. No, that's a good one. So actually that made me remember, because we keep thinking of terrorists is Alan Greenfield. What about the dude who said he knew a Terry Reist? Do you remember that part? Yeah. That he's like all scared in the hotel room. And he's like, I don't know if I should have done this interview and that whole thing. Yeah. I believe that he knew someone that went by that name, but terrorist or terrorist is a very easy name to come by, especially for someone who is disgruntled in the way that that person was. So what's to say that there weren't two people using the same name to come up with similar characters? Yeah. But they found so many correlations between their terrorist and his Terry Reist. I mean, so you just don't think those were sound? Synchronicities are going to be everywhere when you start poking things. Yeah. Also, if you watch the interview, Greg leads him on a ton of stuff in that interview where he's like, did he, what, what things did he say about it? What words did he use? Did he use the word fluff? And it's like, well, there you just blew that because mm-hmm. if he had said if he had said that word unprompted, that would have been like, oh crap, that's huge. I thought you know? this so, exact same thing. So, but, but I mean, and that could be editing. You know, who knows what that is? But it it kind of made when watching that, I'm like, okay, is this guy just wanting to give the right answers, or you know, are there overlaps and you know things are misremembered or? You know, maybe it's just a crazy synchronicity that has happened because of all the hellier craziness. Or maybe he met a guy named Terry Reist, who maybe was friends with Alan Greenfield. And that's the name that 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 Alan Greenfield used when he, you know, maybe there was a Terry Reist, but maybe that's not the guy who sent the email. You know, it's there's Hmm. like a there's no way to know. Yeah. Stuff. (laughs) I did feel that exact same way a couple of times with Greg. I love Greg. I love them all. They're amazing. Oh, no, they're fantastic. Awesome people. But a couple of times when Greg was interviewing, I was like, let someone else interview because you keep giving it away. (laughs) Well, but, you know, you hit that point and, you know, I've done lots of video stuff. So I know you hit that point in the interview where, like, you're trying to let them talk and get there, but they're not going the direction you want. And you just have to ask the question, you know, you just have to flat out ask for confirmation of the words and just kind of gauge the reaction. So I totally get that. It's just, 
it's like, man, I really wish they would have gotten that information without having to volunteer at first. You know, you can see Greg trying to do that in a couple yeah. of scenes too. Yeah. And I think so. you're right about editing. You know, we don't know how long they were in there. They could have been in there for hours. And he was like, God yeah. damn it. Have you ever used the word? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I, will, I would put money down that that's, that's probably the situation. Yeah. So I get it. I actually don't remember. So I have this list of questions that I was generating as I was watching. So there's this one. I don't actually even know. I don't remember this part now. There's <laughs> so much. It says, what do you make of the international banker emails that were sent to John Keel, which were similar to other ones that I cannot recall at this time? Yeah, man, I have no idea. Stephanie, what do you think of the John Keel stuff? Anytime that John Keel comes into it, I think you're opening up a second can of worms that just muddies all the water real quick. Yeah, That's not to say that the two things aren't connected, but as soon as you throw that energy into it, it is just, you need a pegboard with pictures and strings. Yeah. And the thing with John, I love you do. John, I've read a bunch of John Keel stuff and I love him, but he was very, this is what it is. Like he had a very definitive idea of what the aliens and all that stuff was that you've got to separate his beliefs from the phenomena that he encountered. And I think that he wasn't always able to do that because I think after years and years of knowing of encountering this stuff, he had a very clear idea of what he believed it was. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, he had the idea of what the international bankers were and what he thought was going on that I don't know if I necessarily would agree with. Um, Same I, with Woodrow, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's worse. Yeah. Well, Woodrow, <laughs> I mean, John Keel came out later and said that he thinks Woodrow Derenberger was uh, basically a liar, a liar. <laughs> yeah. But when did the lying start? Does the lying start immediately or is it he gets a bunch of attention from the story he's telling and he embellishes it later, you know, or adds to it later? Or is is he not a liar? You know, John Keel. You will never convince me that he did not see something that day. Okay. You will never convince me. But I have had interactions with that phenomena at a later point which i've told you about that freaked me out so you'll never convince me that he did not see something that first night i think andrew cold yeah i think he saw something or someone that night and it weirds me out because my interaction with somebody in giving the name injured cold happened in cleveland around the time that would have been his daughter being in cleveland like coming there according to her own little storyline there. So Tanya, Mm -hmm. the daughter. Yeah. Right. I was just going to ask, do you guys believe Tanya? (laughs) I believe that she probably experienced something. I do not know if it is to the extent that she is stating. And I don't know how much of it is physical as opposed to a psychical experience. Hmm. And the injured cold experience that you had, I think you told me, right? Is that the one where somebody called you on the phone? What what happened again? So I was working at a science museum and I was in a position that wasn't mine. And someone called and was asking about information on an exhibit that we had. And this line was for membership. So they shouldn't have been calling to ask about this there. And I was 
telling him what he wanted to know. And then he's like, my name is Indrid Cold. And I just, like, you hear that name out of the blue when you're thinking about, thinking about the Titanic, you know, that's what I'm talking about. And you hear that and you're just like, um. He was asking about the Titanic? Yeah, it was the Titanic exhibit. But what's interesting about that, though, from my perspective, when you told me that, I was like, oh, not everyone would even give a shit if they used the name Indrid Cold, but you would. Yes. You would give a shit. You would it meant know. something to me. Yeah, that's the part that really sticks out for me. And, and that's in- probably the part that freaked you out, too. Absolutely, because no one else at the building at that time, because I told them, knew what the name meant. Nobody yeah. had any idea. Nobody heard from this person before. Nobody heard from this person again. It freaked me out. That was basically the end of our conversation. And I was, you know, in a tizzy for the rest of the day because I had a phone call with Indrid Cold. Andrew Cole was like, hey, girl. <laughs> Basically, and, he, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And he just wanted to know about the Titanic exhibit, which is phenomenal. That's what we were what talking did he about. Ask, do you remember what he asked, asked about the Titanic exhibit? It was exhibit? something about the exhibit. I don't remember specifically what it was, but that is what we were talking about was that, because that's the exhibit we had at the time. And well, I was the one that was generally downstairs running the exhibit. So I was the one that had all the random answers about it. That could be the key to the whole case. Is what Titanic. he wants to know about the Titanic. <laughs> well, I'd like to point out that's the same location and the same exhibit that I had the last interaction with Aloha. So all happened at the same place within a few months of each other. Okay. What's Aloha again? I can't keep track. Aloha is a entity in voodoo specifically that is sort of an intercessor between this side and the other side, mm. they are semi-divine or purely divine, depending on which reading you're going for, but exceedingly powerful and not to be trifled with. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot there. Injured cold. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough side stream, the, the injured cold thing. I totally agree with you. I think that Woodrow did experience something. I think he experienced injured cold. I don't know how much after that was true. And I think maybe he sees the moment was like, I'm going to run with this and really embellish the shit out of it. The trickster and the paranormal, that book that they reference in Hellier a lot, that's a big thing in there, which is the liminality and the people on the outskirts of society, people who lie, people who, you know, are in positions where they have other motivations. That's usually who the the phenomena will reveal itself to it. That's that trickster energy, you yeah. know, kind of messing with people's idea of what is real and what isn't is the trickster kind of motif. That's a whole interesting thing to the, the marginalized communities and how that's sort of, that's the energy that it's attracted to. The next question is, I, what did you think of the little girl on the bike who drew the pictures of the goblins? Can't even remember when this is. I think it's in the first season. They're doing something that's unrelated to Hellier for a hot second. And this little girl's like, hey, look at these goblins. So that one took place down at Mammoth Cave. They were down at the caves down there shooting a sizzle for something. And the little girl showed up and drew the picture of the goblin at that point. That is where that took place. And there have been reports of creatures like that, Tommyknockers, all sorts of things like that in that area for a long time, if you look. And there is an entity inside the cave systems there. I was poking it a couple months ago at this point, less than a month ago at this point. And there's something that is very reactive in that area. So I don't doubt that a small child who is already more inclined to seeing things than an adult actually saw something. 
Now, what possessed her to tell them that is a great question. That's the phenomena playing games, seems like. Okay, so you guys, this is the next question. Have you ever been to Hellier? I know that Stephanie hasn't. Brian, did you go? Not, no. Why have y'all not gone? You're so close. Have you ever been in the mountains of Kentucky? Uh, Well, no, I don't think so. So I have family out in the mountains of Kentucky up a holler, not a hollow, a holler in Kentucky. There are places up there that you do not go unless you know someone. Uh, And Hellier is in the region that you don't go to unless you know someone. Just look at the way that people reacted when they got there. Everyone knew they were in town within an hour and everyone was watching them. Well, if we go, we're not going without you, Brian. (laughs) Yes, we're taking the Bigfoot with us. It'll work great. Okay. We're taking Brian <laughs> and we're also gonna be, we're going to be like, we know David Christie. Just kidding. <laughs> no one knows David Christie. And that house is burned down. Like, what did you think about that? The house in general, look at the description of a house they were looking at. They were looking for a house with a back porch that had a light that had an outbuilding that had some access to a cave entrance. In East Kentucky, that is every other house on every other street. Yeah. Copy that. <laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of funny when you think about it. It's kind of crazy. Well, as somebody who hasn't spent time in Kentucky for very long, I've only driven through it. Stephanie's making it sound way scarier than it actually is. <laughs> You're not a tiny little blonde not, girl. That's true. Yeah, yeah. everyone kind of doesn't mess with me. You're but. not a tiny little queer girl. <laughs> Ryan, you have to save Fair. us. I'm sorry. <laughs> less people are going to accost you than are going to accost either of us that's true and you might also have kind of a side thing do you have a do you have an accent you put on when you go into the middle of nowhere absolutely that accent that i have pushed away my entire life it comes out because everyone is suddenly nicer to you because you fit in and you're clearly one of them yeah i think i I could do it do you think is this no 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 we'll work on it (laughs) you're gonna have to okay (laughs) Moving on. We'll go to protect everyone. It's Please. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> very much. Oh, I'm very grateful. I am. Yeah. I, if That's the funniest thing, though. Like, if you knew me a little better, <laughs> me protecting anyone, I am the first one to run as fast as possible. If anything's oh, great. If any conflict happens, I'm just like, I don't know these people. So, yeah, it's really me protecting anyone is hilarious. Because I yeah. just need y'all to know that a hundred percent when I arrive in Kentucky, I will be constantly trying to rally you to go to these places with me. So just Point be prepared. Is much more interesting. Oh, I'm going there. We're going to all of them. And I am go- I'm going to persuade you all to come with me. I don't know how much persuasion will it take. I don't want to get shot. We'll go in the daytime. The daytime is when people are out with rifles hunting. It's true. So it's not really better. We're going to go in like bright orange costumes. <laughs> not bad. I guess. How are you? We fit in. We promise. So have you read The Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts? Yes, but not very closely. If that makes sense. Basically, I, I went through it quickly to look for hellier stuff. So, and it's very... It's very, it's written by a magician. That's the only way to say it. Cause it's, it's very esoteric on purpose. So don't ask me if I know what it's about or anything. Cause <laughs> I, don't think I retained very much of it at all. Stephanie, yeah. have you read it? What do you think of it? I read a few pages and stopped. 
I see. It's like that, huh? <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. The team said that Hellier felt super different the second time they went. Do you have any theories as to why that was? Because the energy wanted them there the first time. They didn't find what they were looking for, so it moved on to something that would get their attention again. You can go back to the same haunted location or any sort of manifestation multiple times, and sometimes it's there, and sometimes you got crickets, and you have to literally conjure it again to get it to come back. I think specifically, I was curious about like the first time they went and this Stephanie's answer does apply to this, but like the first time they went, everybody was like, yeah, weird. And they all crowded around the car. And then the second time it was like, what? Nothing. <laughs> like nobody wanted to talk to them. Yeah. I think that's also the attitude that they brought in with them. Like that first time they went, it was just Greg and Dana in a car and they just drove in with wide eyes, just like what's going on? We're looking for goblins. And if you're, if you are like that in that area, people are like, you know, people are relatively nice to you. They came in the second time in multiple vehicles with these two guys with big beards, you know, from out of nowhere and, you know, with cameras that were, they were probably trying to hide, but not very well, which makes everyone really suspicious. Um, They also came in after it looked like they came in after sunset the second time. And they came in in the middle of the day the first time. So I think that that, True. Like, that changed. On top of that, though, the town had already had time to talk about these weird people showing up to ask about goblins the That's first time true. and That's come up with their own theories as to why they were doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I so think town gossip is going to play. Yeah. yeah. That's a good I point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Um, have you guys, either one of you, read Alan Greenfield? Any of his stuff? I'm besides the. Euphonauts? I, I have not. I have not. I tried to. I tried to read uh, Lever Thirty One at one point, and I yeah, was, you've got to spend years and years in ceremonial magic and Thelema in order to be able to really dive into that stuff because everything's code. Because it's just it's a culture that loves hiding stuff in other stuff. So yeah, I, talk to me in a decade, and maybe I will have digested some. <laughs> yeah. So, I get kind of annoyed with the codes just for code's sake, but I think it's awesome that that's part of the, the ceremonial magic and that's, that's part of their culture. And I respect that. But I think at some point when you're putting, but you know, maybe the book's not for me, it's not for me, it's for someone else. So, cause I, I don't find it terribly interesting. Stephanie. <laughs> I no. I I can't like just in general. <laughs> just no, <laughs> no, it's not my bag, and I will deal with the phenomena in front of me as opposed to trying to decode somebody else's very ornate, very well thought out, very detailed instructions or detailing of the experience I'm feeling right now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a lot of extra steps. It is a lot. Well, you talk about that a lot when we were talking about chaos magic. Synchronicity. And I think there is a quote. I think this is what I'm referencing. One of them, they talk about synchronicity throughout the whole thing, but one of them says something like, we have to keep in mind that there is a huge possibility that synchronicity is just like happening all the time and we're we're just tuning into it. What do you guys think about that? Everything's happening all the time. Paranormal stuff happens around people all the time and they don't see it so i don't think it's just synchronicity i think that people are just not looking for things so they don't see them a lot of the times 
Now it does get amped up, but to me, it's almost like a feedback loop. Yes, there's always synchronicity going on all the time. It's what's really happening in Hellier is their perception of the world is shifting. And as their perception of the world shifts, the world gives that feedback loop. So you notice a synchronicity and it says, oh, they noticed that. Here's more. Here's more. Right. Here's more. And, you know, and whether that's done by an external phenomena or their own manifestation or some combination of both is always a fun question. But right. I think the more you notice it, the more it happens and the more you notice it and it can kind of spiral from there. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> the next one is funny because I'm like, must have God helmet. <laughs> I, I want one so up, bad. <laughs> I looked up how much a God helmet was like $649. Way too much for me to buy. Why don't we join forces? Let's all throw in some money and get a God helmet. <laughs> no, but I am serious though. First of all, how did you guys feel when you saw that? Or did you already know about the God helmet prior to watching Hellier? I'd heard about it before. It's one of those things in the paranormal where you get to a point and it's like, I don't have a problem with the technology. I'm not sure that it should be available to everyone at a super low price, easily accessible, because I feel like something like that could mess with people if they are not very careful and very measured in how they use it. 100%. I, I think I wrote it here. Just so the listeners know what we're talking about, which if you don't, at the, you, you don't know anything we're talking about if you need this now, but it takes complex magnetic fields and pumps them through different hemispheres of the brain in order to stimulate a religious experience. Allegedly, I'll put at the end there, because I know that if you go and dig into all the things that the research that Stan Korn and Michael Persinger that they did, it's debatable whether it was like a psychically induced experience or not. But I think that I still want one real bad. Santa, yeah. that's all I want for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I want one too. And I'm. it's funny with like what Stephanie said. I'm like, oh, people shouldn't have this. They just put magnetic waves and giant magnets near their head all this time. That can't be safe. I want one and I'm going to put it <laughs> next to my head all the time because I'm special and I'm actually probably the reason that it shouldn't be readily available. And yet I really want one. So, yeah, I, I mean, I do think that it's smarter to practice with it. This is just a, a theory, obviously none of us have one, but I, I feel like if you're going to use one, it's probably best to do it with a group so people can see how it's changing you. And you can be like, hmm, maybe you shouldn't use it so much anymore, Stephanie, because you're getting weirder or something <laughs> like that, you know, just to, to kind of keep tabs on each other. Cause I think it, it, it could get bajiggity pretty fast. Yeah. It could but get what? Bajiggity. It's just okay, like a catch all you. for, you know, I know. I just wanted you to say it again. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, okay. So good. We agree that we all want a God helmet. So there you we go. Agree. We all want agree a God helmet, and yet it's very dangerous and no one should ever use it. That's true. We should say, be very, very careful because in, in, I mean, listen to what it does. We would not be careful. That's what's funny. about. We're like, be careful. But if we had it, we'd just be like, ah. And yet you two are the ones that are willing to use it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Uncle Stephanie, why wouldn't you use it? <laughs> because my brain is weird enough as it is. I don't know what it would do to someone with a brain like mine. Could be cool. Could be real cool. 
or it could, <laughs> you know, completely send me to the other side and it would be really weird. That's true. Well, okay. But so can we still count on you to throw in for it or <laughs> if I can have popcorn and laugh at you too, while you use it? hundred percent. Absolutely. Oh, while we're on the God helmet, let's talk about the Estes session or the Estes method. You guys did it together, correct? Many times. Was, yes. And how was that for you? Results will vary. Yeah. Um, and it, it honestly feels like when we've done, whenever I've done like a throwaway one, like I don't really care. Everything comes through. And when it's like, okay, let's sit down and take this seriously. It's just jumbled garbage. I, I, I don't, my personal theory of it is what's really happening is you're, it's just a meditation technique where it's just focusing your mind so clearly that you're finding the right things in it. I don't even know that the, that the signal is that important. I think it's really hitting, you know, like in, in, in Hellier, when he sees the image of the tin can, that nothing said tin can into his head. That was something beamed straight into his head because he was in that super meditative state. Whenever I've done it, that's what I, you know, I can feel when I'm kind of in that zone and it's hard to tell, like, it's like, did I actually hear that? Or am I just saying that? So right. Weird thing. It's fun. It's always been fun. No matter whether it turns out good or bad. It's like, it's my preferred method of just sitting and, and poking random things. Yeah. Well, I've always kind of had a thing about ghost boxes. I was like, but then this is a great idea, right? Like this is a a cool way to sort of isolate it a little bit more and, and bring perhaps a bit more credibility to it. I think the Estes (laughs) method takes something that's very, you know, we've all watched the ghost shows where it's like, he said this. And it's like, no, no, he didn't say that. that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it takes that and turns it in. It takes what should be a, physical phenomena and turns it into a psychic phenomena because it doesn't matter what it sounded like or what the only thing that matters is what the person with the headphones on heard right and that could be a psychic connection that could be something actually heard through a commercial or through you know some radio signal and honestly at that point it doesn't even matter because when you're dealing with synchronicities and the way the phenomena works whether it was a weird coincidence or some image in your head both of those interpretations are valid, you know? So it kind of makes that, makes that more interesting to me. Speaking of the Estes method, remember when Tyler goes under on the porch with the, is it the Frank's box, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's Frank's box. Oh God. Put that on my wish list too, Santa. I can't find one of those at all. No. Yeah. They're so hard to find. Um, Anybody know about where one could be? You know, just borrow it from Greg and Dana. Yeah. Hey. I am. I'm going to be like, hey, guys, it's me. (laughs) Um, I need to come over and borrow all of your equipment. Um, But when he, when Tyler uses the Frank's box, well, let me just ask it open-ended. Like, what did you think specifically about that session as opposed to the other SC sessions that they did? That session looked more like a walk-in possessory state to me than anything else. It did not look like a Frank's box session. It didn't look like an SC session. It looked like a walk-in possession to me. Yeah. It felt like he was saying what he felt, not what he heard. Yes. Um, And that there was very little distance between 
the whatever was talking and his voice. So, yeah, I have to say, full disclosure, when I watched it the first time, I was like, he is full of shit. And then when I watched it the second time, and I actually rewound and watched it a third time as well, I was like, obviously, I don't know Tyler, but like everything that you learn about Tyler as the show goes on just doesn't show that he he wouldn't do that. I mean, he wouldn't just make that up, but it does feel kind of like when he gets that accent, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. but then you see that he's got tears in his eyes afterward, and it did feel kind of like an, a being, some some energy took him over for a hot second mm-hmm. yeah. but even if you look at the way he moves and the way he holds his face like the musculature is held differently that is not something anyone shy of like a trained actor would be aware enough of in that sort of situation to manipulate mm-hmm. manually i think tyler just came at it with such a sense of childlike innocence and wonder that he just put the things on and started talking and he was just so open that it became almost a possessive state. And that's why it's kind of silly too. He's not afraid of it being silly. He's not afraid of it being goofy a little bit or going places that other people would be like, that's not scientific to go there. You know, he just says whatever comes and that's what the phenomena likes the most, you know, just that complete openness. Yeah. I think that was fascinating as far as what's shown on the show, much less anxious than the other ones. There's a lot of anxiety that I missed the first time because I was like trying to pay attention. And the second time I was like, oh shit, everybody's very anxious. (laughs) Like they're really feeling freaked out a lot of the way. And Tyler's kind of like, eh, it's fine. Let's just go. (laughs) Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, aren't they, they're all in their early mid thirties, late thirties. And Tyler's in his late twenties. I think, and if I think back to my life and I'm like, yep, my twenties, I was this way. And then you hit a certain point and everything becomes scary because you have to worry about taxes and all the that comes with being an adult. The world just kind of beats you down later. And, 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 you know, you start to realize, oh, those things I did when I was 25 probably should have gotten me killed, you know? So yeah. just going to coordinates on a map in the middle of the woods and swiping out of your compass so you don't know which direction you're supposed to walk like the mistake i would have made in my 20s and probably would not make right now agreed yeah when he did that and i the first time around i was like god damn it tyler like obviously you make it out of this but i was just my empathic heart was just like honey yeah you're stuck in there and you know you're right like we're all in our 30s and i was way more into taking risks in my 20s so that's a good point so and i don't know if i'm right about the ages like Tyler might come back and be like, I'm older than all these guys. <laughs> He's adorable. I love them all. They feel like friends. <laughs> yeah, they really do. After you watch it like six times. Okay. So I had six. Jesus. No, I haven't, I haven't watched Six it. is an understatement. He's I watched haven't it more than watched that. that you have so. I have not. You have so. We've I've, had this I've, conversation I've multiple times. I've watched it all times. the way through twice. And then it plays in the background while I do weird computer exactly you've watched it more than six times fair enough i do have to say that's an odd one to have in the background like i don't really play tv too much in the background but if i did it would be something super light not hell here season two i think i've only watched season one a couple of times because the soundtrack in season one is so heavy you're waiting for something to jump out every scene season two they kind of lean into the more fun 
magical element of it, which I prefer. So who's Geraldine Sutton Stythe? So Geraldine Sutton Smith is one of the ones who experienced the Kelly Goblin attack. Okay, right. Okay, Kelly Goblins. Yes. And she has two relatives that are alive that were Were there there. as children. On that, the two relatives that are alive that were there during that Kelly Goblin sitch. Has anybody been... I mean, were you guys thinking, can I talk to them somehow? So I've been to the Little Green Man Festival and I've been to Kelly a bunch. And you'll notice that certain members of the family never seem to show up and don't like talking about it because there is a level of trauma in that experience that gets lost in translation. I think people are always like, Oh, it was little green men and you were shooting at them. This family was in terror for an entire night. You're looking like 12 hours of this experience from start to finish. And I think that really stuck with them hiding under the bed for most of that time for the children while the, parents and friends and relatives that they knew were shooting at things that were trying to claw its way through their windows. And then you have the government show up and the cops and people trampling through your house so much so that you have to move. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to talk to anybody either. Right. So it doesn't take away the curiosity and the desire to want to speak with them, but yeah, I I realized that that was a very high stress situation, but also it brings me to this question, which is, do you think that what the, the, the entities are, that they encountered, they called them goblins, right? They didn't so much call them goblins. That was sort of the name given to them afterwards. But then again, in translation, you have that little green man is the idea that comes from this. But what they reported were creatures in silver suits. The reports get really muddled as to who said what, where, and when the little green man thing. But this three foot tall creature is very, very prevalent in this. And this happened less than a week after an attack in the water an hour north of there, where something tried to drown a girl after seeing a UFO through the sky. And then a man in black shows up. And this one, you have a UFO sighted that crashes near them. Then you have the creatures appearing and then you have men in black showing up. Well, I think the bottom line is that you live in a really weird state (laughs) my question off of that was do you think that pan and the gatekeeping goblins slash little green men of the later years of hellier are the same as what happened to those people who were terrorized by whatever we're calling those the other goblins I think both of them are manifestations of the same entity. I think that they're both probably a type of fae, just in general. I think that's probably what you're looking at. And I think that it is the sort of cultural interpretation of the time, because when the Kelly Goblin attack happened, you had this idea of little men from Mars and alien invasion was a big thing that had been pushed. So it was on the cultural consciousness. So you see a UFO, you're going to see little green men. You know what I mean? Like they sort of go together. Whereas today you're stepping back from sort of UFO sightings, you get the ghost sightings and cryptids are a big thing now. So you're just reinventing that older legend. Right. The tin can thing. I think when I watched this, the first season, the first time, 
when that happened, I think I was already hooked. It doesn't take much for me. I'm curious about everything. But when they got to the tin can, I was like, oh, I will be watching the remainder of this this evening. (laughs) Like it, it just like hooked me that moment. I don't know. Was that as powerful for you guys? I just loved looking at Connor's face when he crouched down looking at it and he just looks at it and it's the least designed moment ever in a show. He just looks at it and goes, why is this This here? here. (laughs) It's just like, I've had that feeling before. (laughs) And yeah, I think that that was, that, that was definitely a moment where it's like, okay, if they're going there, where else are they going to go to acknowledge that as a thing? Most ghost hunters in that situation would have been like, oh, it's a tin can. Get it out of the shot. Seriously, they like a lot. Most people probably wouldn't even have noticed that as a thing, which is what I think makes this show cooler is they notice things that don't fit into what they're looking for. And by noticing the things, it makes it all way richer. It makes you wonder if other if ghost shows like actually looked for synchronicities and allowed themselves to go wherever the evidence pointed instead of trying to, you know, knock out a show in three days with, you know, a crew of five people because they've got budgetary constraints Mm -hmm. where that would actually go with all these other shows. I went crazy after Hellier. I I think Stephanie, you call it the frenzies. I had a frenzy. I was like, this is what I wish all other paranormal shows were like because of the overlap of cryptids and extraterrestrials and, and, and ghosts and whatever. It was like all kind of together. And also they took their time and they paid attention. Like you said, it's a mystery instead of all the other ghost shows are like, let's go into the house and get rid of the ghost. You know, it's like, it's so rote at this point. Yeah. And then someone cries maybe like halfway through the episode. And then it, it's, it's so predictable. Do you think that Hellier is going to inspire others to make similar now paranormal documentaries? Oh, I think it's already crept into uh, what's the one Greg and Dana are on? Kindred spirits. Yeah. And they have Dana in there doing tarot at investigations, you know? So I think it's already creeping its way in to like kind of do this cross disciplinary approach. I think you'll have people that, copy it but what i'm afraid of is you can't do hellier with a crew on a budget no you know that was that's got to be something where you've got carl who's like super into it really good at what he does you know the editing in that show is phenomenal i Um, just said that like two hours ago i was like oh my god i love carl he's such a good editor shout out to carl because i feel like it's easy to forget that he directs shoots and edits everything like everything that's on that screen is carl so we love you carl we love you carl you're a beast but really Um, what's what's so impressive to me i I think all of it is impressive what carl does but the editing is so good because the story is so well told he can you imagine how many hours of footage they had i mean days and days and days of footage and they turned it into this and like how he went back and forth between certain yes. things and fast forwarded and, and rewound. I, I just, I was like, can we hire you? Yep. <laughs> we yeah, have, we have no also, show idea, but could, could we hire you? <laughs> it's a non-linear story that he makes linear. 
you know, like he'll jump back and forth between the episodes and try and find how it's progressing. So no, it's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. But like I said, I don't think you can make more of that unless it's someone like Carl that's doing it as kind of a labor of love, because if discovery decides they want a hellier like show, they're just going to like look for the formula and then half stage everything because you can't follow people around for six months, you know, with a crew and have it be economically viable yeah. that it's going to make money. So, yeah, no network would want to do that. That's just not how business goes at this time. I hope that changes. I, I don't see it changing anytime soon, even with the the strike. Well, the what's going on with the potential strikes right now. I still don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Ghost shows are they can be really good and really genuine or they're not from what I've seen. There's not a lot in between. And for every show that I get pitched, that is from someone who truly understands what they're dealing with and really is interested in the phenomenon, what they can actually catch. You get pitched. I want you to come in here and no, 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 you're not a psychic. You're a historian. You've never seen a ghost before. I mean, I've, I've been told that by people before and they're like, oh, you'll sign the paper now, right? And it's like, uh, no. It really depends on who's running it. That's production, yeah. Been, yeah, entirely. If you walk into a place and nothing happens, you know, and you've got... I've never had that experience. Well, you've never had that experience, but I <laughs> promise you it happens. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, you've got... Now all of a sudden you've got 10 people who you're paying, you know... 300 bucks a day or 200 bucks, whatever it is like, that's real money. You can't walk mm-hmm. away without a show. You can't just go, well, this one didn't work out. What do you do at that point? You invent something or creative editing makes something small look much bigger than it was. Right. But to be fair, ghost hunters, the original ghost hunters back in the day, one of the very first episodes of that that aired was actually them not finding anything on a hunt. But it's one of the only shows that has actually allowed that to be seen. Yeah. Which I always found odd because that show was a massive hit and ran for years in its first incarnation. But one of the first shows was literally them finding nothing. Yeah. That's the one with Grant, right? Grant and Hunter both were in that one. Oh, my sweet Grant. If you're listening, (laughs) I love you. (laughs) I love that guy, man. You really have to work on that accent. That's not Kentucky. That's another one. It sounded like the same. <laughs> it, who's the other one? Hunter? Who, no, who? that is the wrong name. Those who did are people you just... from my work. Oh. <laughs> I know who those are. Grant and Jason are Jason. ghost hunters. Yes. Jason, yeah. Okay. Grant and I was Jason. like, who's Hunter? <laughs> Hunter is a guy at my work who works with Grant. Different okay. Grant, but That's they fine. work together and always are said together. It okay. comes a package deal. Back to Andrew called. Connor and Connor, do you believe they are true? Because we had said earlier that we think for sure that that Woodrow had the experience with it injured cold. And then after that, we're not sure. What do you think about the sons? I've seen a lot of weird things. I don't like to discount people's experiences. So while she may have experienced something, I'm not sure that anyone else would have. Point Pleasant. You guys have both been there, right? Yeah. Yes. Is it as weird as yes. everyone says it is? More so. Yeah. Second question. The, oh, go ahead. Do you go ahead. The show Erie, Indiana on Disney Channel? 
like where mm-hmm. everything was done the exact same. And like the opening of them is literally like walking through this town and like people are mowing the grass in the same way and everyone's moving the same way. <laughs> it's got very much those same vibes. It, and when you walk into that town, you're being watched. It was weird, but not in the way I expected it to be weird. That's the only way I can put it. And I can't explain how it was weird because it wasn't weird like, oh, there's a ghost everywhere. It was weird like something's something's just off there. And yes. you can't tell whether it's whether it's totally mundane townspeople or the vibe of the, you know, the little town square. And you can't tell whether it's energetic or. I don't know. You can't tell whether it's there, you know, there's something spooky here or years of people coming here only to focus on this tragedy has generated kind of an energy to the place. And I tend to think that that's more of what that vibe is. So, But beyond that, as soon as night falls in that town, that town is different. The energy that is there is... I didn't stay till night. I left. I stayed at the low hotel. So I stayed in the haunted hotel in the town. I wanted to stay there. That place looked awesome. Is it It haunted? Is Is the hotel really haunted? haunted. Yes, it is actually haunted. She's confirmed. I I will confirm it is haunted, yes. If you're standing outside and looking at it, you know it's haunted. Yeah, yes, 100%. How does the creepiness or the spookiness of Point Pleasant compared to Somerset? So Point Pleasant, I wouldn't even say is necessarily creepy. I felt on edge the entire time I was there, but I wasn't creeped out. Somerset, as soon as I got there, I wanted to leave. Like something in the back of my brain was saying, it's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. That little, that little thing back there that does that sometimes was doing that and it was yelling okay so for the record when we go on our road trip to somerset i don't i ignore that when that happens sometimes so i'm gonna have to count on you guys i I ignore it too so i'm like "Eh, it's it's gonna be me and you how did i become the chaperone come on let's go deeper into the cave Mm -hmm. so i'm driving check yep (laughs) so now we're into ashland kentucky and the wagon wheel restaurant and that whole bit Okay, my brain was spinning during that. What were your biggest takeaways from that whole segment? That when I saw that segment, I'd been in Ashland the week before. Was it creepy? Ashland doesn't wig me out. Ashland is a very normal, normal to a painful level. Although it does have the only other iteration of a restaurant that is in Kentucky that is only found in Somerset and Ashland, which I find interesting. But what's the restaurant? Slim Chickens. It's a chicken restaurant that I like because I looked it up and it's only in Somerset and it's in Ashland. And I was just like that. That's a thing. With the Hellier location coming soon. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Stephanie, specifically, like, do you feel like when you were going to these places at a certain point that, how do I put this? I thought the second time I watched Hellier about you and going to all these places. And I was thinking at at some point, did you feel like people were communicating from different locations and they're like, we got this blonde girl again. She's (laughs) like, did you ever feel that where you, did you get to that level of paranoia? Bold of you to assume I'm not already that paranoid, but (laughs) (laughs) we're getting to know each other. (laughs) Right. Uh, It wasn't so much that 
I felt that someone or something should have been communicating from place to place as I was wondering as they're watching this, why they hadn't gone to the other places that I think feel the same. And for me, it's all about the sort of energetic feeling of all these places, because while some wigged me out thoroughly and some I felt totally comfortable in, there was something about them that was a tangible sensation to me. And there's other places that have that same sort of tangible sensation that I'm not sure why they didn't fall into the storyline of Hellier because I could see how they would. There's always season three. Right. Right? That's what I'm expecting. So you're saying that there seemed to be like a similar impression energetically in each one of these places. And that was kind of unusual for you. Specifically, it reminded me of Inhumans just in general. Like that's the energy that I look for a lot of the time because that's the energy that I deal with most often. So I'm sort of trained to keep an eyeball out for it to just see what's hanging out. And all of these places seem to have that same sort of feeling. But there's other places that are literally en route between these places that aren't discussed, which I find fascinating. Hmm. When you sent me an email, Stephanie, a few weeks ago that showed the picture of the house that said, help me, this this town is a cult. Which which place was that again? I can't remember. Somerset. Yeah. So <laughs> Somerset wins every time for the right? high strangeness. Yeah. Okay. And what about you, Brian? As far as that whole Ashland, Kentucky moment, was that an epiphany moment for you? Not the first time I watched it, but then Ash kept coming. Like the word Ash and places with the word Ash in them. Just an amazing number of times that I ended up, you know, driving to or being in places with Ash and then drove past Ashland on my way to Pennsylvania, I think, of all places, and didn't Mm. stop. Should have stopped, didn't stop. For me, it's, I think Stephanie works a little different than I do, and that she's more, like, very different than I do. For me, it's much more, my brain works in connections. So my brain, it looks for the synchronicities. So that's kind of what jumped out to me is Ashland, Asheville, like, it seemed like up until, you know, last night, every place that I looked at had some kind of ash connection that also tied to some other word or phrase that seemed to link to Hellier. I'm very much like that as well. Like, I am sort of hyper self-aware and it's oh, it's a curse sometimes, but it does help me pick out synchronicities. But it can also be annoying because sometimes you're like, maybe that wasn't a synchronicity. <laughs> maybe it was just yeah. just a thing. But Stephanie, you're not as much like that. You're you're not. But you said to me when we were chatting the other night, it, you said it's the synchronicities for me. That that is the most compelling part of the whole Hellier story for you, right? Yes, because the inhuman portion of it is mundane to me. <laughs> right. Uh huh. Right. So for Brian and I, who um, don't communicate with inhuman entities on a daily basis. <laughs> Yeah, that's you gonna still... claim that. No, okay. <laughs> Do you deal with inhuman entities on a daily basis? Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm so new to all this stuff. What lives in your house? I got a there's a little fave guy, he's awesome that lives in my house. Everything's fine. I'm gonna need you to elaborate on that. I leave out offerings and and uh have a, a 
you know, house guest, house guest at my house that, that hangs out. He's not here very much recently, but. All right. I stand corrected. <laughs> well, I guess I have had experiences with inhuman entities, but so infrequently, I guess, is, I guess that's what I'll say. Like you have one chilling in your house. So you have more frequent interaction with that being it's not like a squirrel that lives under the counter or anything, you know, it's, it's very similar to like, you know, people will have up altars to, you know, deities or to earth yeah. spirits or things like that, you know, so it's more of a felt presence. And then every once in a while I'll, I'll see little motions and things like that, that, that come out, but he makes himself known if I ignore him for too long, basically is what happens. And then I gotta, gotta give him some whiskey. So he'll tell me where the remote control is back to the synchronicity so everyone agrees that that's the best part of all this i think it's the most fascinating part because like an entity or an energy you can kind of okay this thing there's this thing and it wants something and i'm interacting on a certain level it's very but the synchronicities it's like what does that mean is this leading anywhere is this pointing to something is this just trying to confuse you so to me that's just way more interesting to see like what how the hell can these things be connected because it seems like they are and then just trying to solve that puzzle which is probably an unsolvable puzzle yeah all the locations are super weird in hellier but when tyler goes to is it north carolina and then they follow him out the squadron yeah okay that was next level for me at that moment i was like i both really want to go to there but then i also was like i 100 percent believe that there's some weird underground black magic occultist ring going on there i've been to places where i've never had the cops approach as i was leaving but i have been deliberately and loudly followed until you reach a certain point okay here's I my don't- I don't think it's black magic. I think it is a small town that is watching the outsider who has no business being there. Really? You think that's it? Mm -hmm. Think about it from the person who owned that house's perspective. Yes. This guy stumbles out of the woods in this remote area, comes up to your deck, knocks on the back door. And we know Tyler, Tyler talks. And then he just starts asking really weird questions about your tree and about whether you've seen goblins and about stuff. And while she's talking to him in the front, probably like, yeah, like nodding, trying to be nice. Cause that's, there's probably, you know, the son or the husband is calling the cops in the back freaking out. And then th- th- that would be my theory as to what probably happened there. Yep. Uh, I think that's what my partner said too. She was like, um, she probably just closed that door and then called 911 and 911's yeah. real close because the town is small. So yeah. Whereas in the city, if someone did that, you'd just be like, uh, we don't want any and slam the door in their face. You don't do that, you know, in in the rural in rural areas, you know, you're polite and nice and freaking out on the inside and calling the cops. So, you know, if if Tyler's just talking to them as long as they want to talk or what, you know, as long as they don't kick him out. You know, because that's the other thing. He gets to his car and the cops are right there. That means he was there for a while mm-hmm. in order for the cops to be able to show up. 
because he did yeah. or that he's the only random car they don't know in town exactly. they cited earlier in the day that's, that's true, true. That both of those things could be true but it brings me back to the amy emails and her talking about this sort of like underground occultist thing happening and so at that point, I was kind of like, well, I'm convinced. There it is. There's a green man on the tree, which, of course, they said it's just a regular man, not a green man. But Amy was telling the truth about the underground occultist ring thing. I think she's telling her truth. But mm. to keep something like that secret in a small town with that much gossip and that many churches... Like that's that's a nearly impossible secret. It can't be like just physically. It can't be to the extent that she thinks it is. Are there some people there doing some weird things? Probably. Are but, there hundreds of people coming in to sacrifice children on a regular basis? Yeah. No. That's and satanic that's, panic from playover. And that's a thing that you see in small towns yeah. all the time. Maybe there's a police. Maybe there's, you know, a police force that, you know, there might be some questionable cops and there might be kind of a good old boy mentality that adds into this idea of a conspiracy. And maybe there are nefarious things going on that get misinterpreted. Um, you know, there are people who are a little different and focused on different religions or Wiccans or witches or, you know, even just Hindu or Buddhist, you know, could be kind of you just see weird symbols and don't know what to do, you know, if you're in a position where you haven't been educated about that stuff. And all and then there's also like a huge drug culture where people are secretly, you know, there's a lot of drugs. That's when I whenever I go to small towns, that's what scares me because the drug problem is out of control. Mm -hmm. Stumble into a situation where you weren't supposed to see something. That's the real danger. I don't think it's cults or government conspiracies sacrificing. But I think when you see these disparate elements kind of coming together and you're one of the townspeople there and you're also really bored and you're also hearing things secondhand from, you know, the rumor mill that's going on. It's really easy to kind of create these stories of mm. supernatural cults and stuff. That's not saying that there's not real stuff there, but that there's not real supernatural things happening, but the human mind has a tendency to, instead of just going, well, that happened and that happened and that happened, you have to tie all those things together. Right. So drug runner becomes the cult leader and the weird lights you saw in the sky become the UFO that they're worshiping. And, the, you know, and it just becomes a narrative that you stitch together from all these bizarre things in your town. Mm -hmm. So, Well, having been the random psychic that was decided I was a witch, you know, that sort of title was given to me in a small town in Kentucky. I was informed of many people that I had apparently cursed mm -hmm. that I hadn't by other people talking about these rituals that I'd done to curse people mm -hmm. when I'd done no such thing. I mean, it's just, it's these small towns have such vivid imaginations. Mm -hmm. Well, and anything that's not, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of towns where anything that's not overtly Christian of that sect that's practiced in that town, anything that's not overtly Christian is other. And you it's know, devil worship. Yeah, that is what they will tell you. Yeah, it's like that TikTok where there there's the woman that you sent me, and it's the woman who's did. They've got to bless the candy after Halloween because witches will curse the candy. Oh, I saw that. Hit. You know, it's like, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's, 
but if you're in that, that's the other thing is like growing up near that culture. If you're in that culture, I can see where you think crazy stuff like that because mm-hmm. you're not exposed to anything else. And you're told to question this Christian ideal, you know, specifically the way that you're brought up in this one sect of Christianity is anything else is the devil. I think that's totally true. I mean, I'm coming from, I've been in LA, so I have a little bit of LA brain. I'm not remembering that sort of small town vibe that can happen in these cases, but I still, I still think there is some kind of something. I, I, I think I believe Amy. I think I believe her to an extent. I think that she saw something. Maybe it's not as big as she thinks it is. But, but I, what was it she said at the beginning that she thought that she was going to be finding out about this weird guy who was a serial killer and she named the guy? Are yeah. we sure that what she originally thought isn't the right answer? Right. It was like her neighbor that she thought. Th- cl- they were out by. and they heard a woman screaming and she was convinced that he was murdering some woman. And she had already had like a, a notion about him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But I mean, there were so many details, though, about like what they were doing down there. And and then you bring in the cave element and then you get to see Connor, you know, like fidgeting. <laughs> so he's like totally freaked out. And I believe Connor, too. But then Connor does have it seems like the most religious background. So maybe that was a little bit of his anxiety. Yeah, well, I, I think probably Amy stumbled on maybe a drug ring, you know, some kind of nefarious stuff going on. And then I've seen this happen with people I know where they heard, you know, that the elevator that goes down into the thing. I heard that from my sister or my brother-in-law. Right. And it fits the narrative I'm now creating. And then I heard this other piece of information from this other person. So then that just becomes part of your own story. You know, so but that, you also have the option that she found a drug ring that something was going on, and while she was in the area, she did see a goblin. I mean, yeah, and then exactly, you, it yeah. can be both. It can. Yeah, that's what I, I kind of think. It's possibly both. I, I'm leaning toward believing that she saw something that was supernatural and something that could have possibly been, you know, a drug ring or, or you know, a serial killer. I'm not sure, but just regular old human weirdness i do think there was i don't know because of the robes doesn't she talk about the robes and no but you're right Brian. that could have just been her piecing pieces together to fit a narrative that she already kind of came to in her mind prior and aren't there always weird kids out in the woods with robes i mean like it happens in in small towns all the time (laughs) this brings me to Terry disappears, right, for a long while. And then all of a sudden, he writes this email with the subject A-C-B-T-F. And he writes, why did you stop when you were so close? I have something for you one week. The question is, what do you think he meant they were close to? There was something happening in all of these places they went to. But they were always a shade too late. They were never at the right place at the right time to truly, fully experience what was going on. Hmm. Brian? I think it was just a poke. I think it was just an email trying to get them to put more energy into this this working or whatever was trying to be made. You know, just kind of that encouragement to, to move forward. 
come on. One week is even like a, a carrot baiting kind of thing. And then you get people looking for that one week mark. Like what happened at that point? That's important. The emails that get it going, I feel are just very open-ended and designed with lots of codes and lots of things you can find in there in order to push the working forward. I think that's why they haven't heard from Terry since then, because once it was clear they were making an entire show about this, there's no need to poke anymore. Right. And I think when you might get another poke when they like announce that they're not doing another season or when it looks like the energy is going down, that's probably when Terry will pop back up and be like, Oh, but you didn't check here, you know, as a way to just kind of keep that energy flowing forward. The attention, the attention back to, yeah. Okay. The theme. So weird. I had that dream. So what they thought, I think at first, at least what they thought, Terry was referencing was the attempted alien abduction at Brown Mountain with that poor, poor man who had a horrible hypnosis experience. Yeah, I felt so bad for him. Just what did you guys think of that attempted alien abduction experience? It made me uncomfortable. I think that's (laughs) the equivalent of us being like, let's get a God helmet. You know, it's like, they were just Very like, much so. going to do a hypnosis thing and see what happens. And then they didn't, they just didn't even consider the idea of implanted memories and how that can really get into someone's head. I think that whole sequence is just fascinating on a purely psychological level of how the human brain works, you know, and just nothing spooky has to happen for that kind of experience to be put into someone's head, mm-hmm. um, which also kind of comments on how everything else that's going on, you know, where that line is between what's a psychological manifestation, what's a physical manifestation due to some kind of magic working and what is actually an outside entity that's influencing the events. Like, and when does it matter? Yeah. Or does it? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, it's like he either did have an alien abduction experience and they, he had a regression or you can just, like you said, you can you can just implant things and the mind goes with it, runs with it. Yeah. And if, but, like, there's a lot of stuff written about how easy it is to implant false memories in people. And it's unfortunately has been done for decades. That um, is the satanic panic. Yeah. 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 Wait, talk more about that. What you mean by that, Stephanie? So the satanic panic happened when people started recovering memories, oftentimes going to therapists who were not the most ethical. And they would suddenly have these memories of being horrifically tortured over long periods of time, being sacrificed. Like some that you remember being killed and then being brought back. And people took this as a true phenomena that was happening. And suddenly everyone everywhere was looking for the satanic cult in your town. And I think sort of the biggest like pop culture reference for today's people would probably be the West Memphis Three. Mm -hmm. They were essentially targeted because they were the other in town. And that was during the satanic panic. They were picked out because they were other. And they clearly had been the ones to sacrifice these children when that is obviously not what happened. And it was so ubiquitous that when mm-hmm. when you said at that time, if you said, well, it was 
the Satan cult, everyone was like, I've read all kinds of stuff about how there's all these Satan cults. Like it was just accepted belief Mm -hmm. that there were satanic cults literally everywhere at that time. So it was really easy to just run with that and convict people of something they had absolutely nothing to do with. Yeah. The hypnosis thing that that really struck me because I've been in deep hypnosis sessions like that. And what, what I found so curious about the hypnotist is that he didn't, well, we don't know because the editing, right? But it didn't seem like from what we saw that he t- told him that much. I mean, he he really was just like, there's a light in the sky. Can you tell me about the light? And then it was more about like asking him questions of what he naturally experienced. Mm-hmm. That was the part that was so intriguing to me. But and- he, he knew he was doing a... He knew what the goal was. It would have been better to not tell him. Yep. So just by knowing what the goal was, there's something in his subconscious. He invents the story to align with, or maybe he was abducted and it's a memory, you know? Yeah. How how can you tell? You can't tell. Yeah. Yeah. The exact same. It's the exact same outcome for two completely different possibilities. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I felt so bad for him, too, because at the end, you know, when they, they interview him later, he's like, yeah, I do believe in his his tune kind of changed about how he feels about aliens. And now he has a new a new anxiety that they implanted for him. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I know they didn't mean to. So but yeah, that's definitely something that maybe should not be repeated unless there are some very like careful parameters set up. Yeah. prior which, yeah which they kind of did you know they, they did it with carl but they didn't do it nearly the same way and i don't think they i think they were conscious to not implant anything all right guys well we have gotten to season two episode five in case you were wondering really good <laughs> we did pretty good um i mean obviously there's a thousand things that we could dissect separately but as as far as like an overview of things i think we did pretty well Okay, I realize there's so much more we could discuss when it comes to Hellier. We barely scratched the surface in this episode, but we kind of just followed the general progression of each episode of the seasons while occasionally bopping around to later episodes as well. I meant it when I said I have a full notebook of notes from watching Hellier. It tends to pull you in. And like I said, I firmly believe we... The audience are now a part of this greater magical working. I hope to get a blue star balloon like Stephanie someday. I think, I think I want that. In some ways, that feels like an indicator that you're really in it. You're in the ritual. You're in the initiation. You're part of the whole paranormal enchilada at that point. I mean, how weird is it that Stephanie was so taken by the mystery of Hellier? And then she found not one, but two blue star balloons one of which was in her parents' backyard of all places. Some synchronicities just cannot be ignored. I believe season three is underway as we speak, so there is much more hellier woo to come. Also, you can go down the Reddit rabbit holes and you can use the cipher if you want. I have a link to it and I'll put it in the show notes for you. Let me know if you figure anything out. I've put pretty much everything you can think of in that cipher. And if you nerded out over Hellier and you want to discuss it, let us know. 
We would love to pick your brain and hear your thoughts on the synchronicities, the goblins, and the overall Kentucky weirdness. All right. Till next time, my witches and weirdos. Bye. Thank you for following the woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 